most ag teachers do view using volunteers as a positive thing, right? The problem with that is, is that as most ag teachers will say, and I said this as an ag teacher, right? It takes a lot of time to manage those volunteers. Welcome to Al Pellets, Tips for Ag Teachers podcast. We are your agricultural education resource across the web, sharing research-based tips and tackling the tough questions facing agriculture teachers every day. The Al Pellets crew is Kate Shoulders, Marshall Baker, Mike Ritalik, and Brian Myers. All right. Well, hello, Don Edgar. Welcome to Al Pellets. Glad to be here, Brian. Thanks you. It is so good to have you here, and everybody out in Al Pellet Land, we are also excited. Today, Mike and I have joining us today is Becky Haddad, and Becky is a guest host that we're having with us for several podcasts here this year. So, Becky, welcome, and, and glad to have you as part of the team. Thanks for the invite, Brian. All right, Don, we are excited to talk to you today. So, why don't we kind of remind everybody, tell a little bit about who you are and what you're doing there. So I was a high school um, ag teacher for 14 years. I've been also involved in higher education for about the past 14 years. So I kind of 50% old ag teacher, 50% faculty member. So I kind of understand what ag teachers go through. Um, a lot of the research that I've tried to do in higher education has been towards teaching and learning and helping ag teachers. So I'm hopefully share some of that today. Well, I know you will. This is some, some very interesting stuff and a great topic that um, all of us can use. And so to get us kicked off here, why don't you give us a little bit of a, a bit of an overview, Don, about your, about your uh, topic, and then we'll get right into the questions. Okay. So originally, a couple of researchers um, at New Mexico State, Brenda Sievers and Carlos Rollins in France, looked at volunteer involvement in school-based ag education programs in New Mexico. Uh, Dr. Sievers and Dr. Graham, who are colleagues of mine, um, I've worked with before, really wanted to do this again, to see what happened, you know, to see if perceptions have changed from ag teachers since that initial research was done. I was glad to be a part of that. We went ahead and looked at that 20 years kind of later, but we broadened the scope of it. We looked at teachers in Arkansas and teachers at Georgia as the three institutions where we were all at. And so that's kind of where it came from, kind of what this research looked at at this point. Um, and hopefully we can do more of that because lots of different regions are different and how they utilize volunteers and how they implement them. And so we'd really like to find those best practices because teachers are overworked. Anything that we can find to help them utilize their time better is really what we want to do. So tell us a little bit about what you learned, Don, from uh, the findings and then the study that you did this time around. The first point that we found that we thought was really, we knew we would probably see this, but we just never know, right, is, is that most ag teachers do use using volunteers as a positive thing, right? The problem with that is, is that as most ag teachers will say, and I said this as an ag teacher, right, it takes a lot of time to manage those volunteers. And that's time that I could really be doing what I was doing normally, and then allow me to not really work on a lot of different scopes of things. And so implementing that new teacher in there might be um, hazardous to what's going on in my program, but um, there's lots of value in that. Most teachers, and I believe those ones who really utilize volunteers, really were positive about it. They really allowed them to really focus on aspects of their program that they probably wouldn't have because they were too busy doing other things. 
whether that's training CDE teams, working with auspicious teams or other things, because ag teachers just have a, a big plate that they have to deal with. Yeah, and certainly I, I think for, at least that's human nature, at least for me, when I start thinking about volunteers and asking someone to do something, the first time is like, oh my goodness, this is gonna take more time than if I just do it myself. And I think in, in the short run, that's true. Uh, but if we think about it in the long run, if we can help train and, and give people some uh, opportunities to help us and, and, and give them the tools to do it right, I think in the long run, it's certainly gonna free us up with some time. And, and I think, so it really kind of goes to what, what we're thinking about either short-term ad, um, advantages versus long-term advantages and, and where those wins are gonna be, so. That's a really good point. I know that ag teachers that I was associated with teaching and then also as cooperating teachers, those good ones, they really, you know, who could have focused on different things and have a really diversified program, they utilize former students. And we didn't look at that specifically in this research, what they were looking at, but they use former students, community members that they could rely on and really knew their program and allowed them to, you know, work on something else during that same time, you know, so. Feed two birds with one seed, right? That's one of the things we say. And I would just say as a New Mexican, <clears throat> um, first of all, welcome to NMSU. We're so glad you were there. Um, and you got tough people. Those New Mexicans are tough. <laughs> I'm just joking. They've been great so far, man. Green chili yeah. cheeseburgers have been awesome. <laughs> That's right. Um, I'm jealous. I wish I could teleport to Las Cruces right now and go enjoy some of your food. Um, you know, there's two things I thought about looking at kind of your results. Um, when you, when you go visit teachers as a professor, you know, small rural schools, good, bad, or indifferent, I just drive up to the ag shop, walk in, and then you go to a larger district and you have to go to the front desk. You have to sign in. There's a process. You can't violate the process. The ag, the ag teacher would probably get in trouble if you violated that process. There's security guards. It seems like there would be so much difference, you know, in like sometimes just because of safety in larger districts, it's just hard to get someone past all the steps to be a volunteer but then you have the dynamics of rural america where in texaco new mexico you just drive up to the shop and um everyone knows who you are and you help did you find anything what are your suggestions there it seems like it would be so different based on the size of your district well i think that's one of the things that, that we really talked about is maybe as a concluding thought but maybe as an afterthought you know extension really has utilized volunteers historically very well and many places go through volunteer training. Like in Georgia, you have to get certified to be a volunteer. You have to go through safety protocols and those kind of things. And many large school districts have that to where they bring in local community members, whether it's in business or English or ag education. And I think we just really have to know what those protocols are, what training that they needed, what background checks that they probably have to do. Because in the larger school districts, those are becoming very prominent. And so if we get in that game as ag teachers and talk to those other people, talk to our administration, here's what we're doing. I think that could alleviate a lot of those problems because sometimes, you know, oh, I really need to get John to come help me do this, you know, dairy judging um, practicum. But then we can't get to that because of those things that are in place. But we do need a little forethought. Hey, here's what we're doing, identify those people. 
but they can add so much value to what we're doing because it's not, we just can't do everything by ourselves. Amen to that. <laughs> well, it seems like the, you know, ag teachers, if I were listening to this podcast and reading, you know, looking at the findings, <clears throat> I totally resonate with, I was a control freak, you know, like I wanted to just, it was easier for me to just do it myself. And I didn't have to ask and I didn't have whoa, to. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me that Marshall Baker might be a control freak? Folks, Lord, this is breaking news <laughs> right here. Listen, all my training was at the University of Florida. So I got it from you, Boo Boo. Stand by for news. <laughs> All right. All right. Now, now that that bombshell has been dropped and we, we are processing it, continue with your question while I sit here and continue to process that, that just earth shattering finding. <laughs> Listen, there's not an ag teacher out there that doesn't have a little bit of that controlling drive. So mm -hmm. I think we are all pretty guilty. We're all cut from kind of the same cloth, mm -hmm. you know, but an ag teacher just survives by just making things happen. Like they have to just make things happen or they don't happen. So, you know, one thing reading some of this findings of like, man, it's just easier to do it myself than to try to get volunteers. I'm wondering as an ag teacher, one thing I noticed with some of the great ag teachers is they invested in people that were already had the right like assets and skills to do a certain volunteer service, like coach the forestry team. Well, there's a local forest service parent you can kind of invest in them and have them for four or five years until they finally quit. And then you can reinvest. It seems like if you could get people connect their passions to the volunteer service and train them so that once you make an investment, you can kind of, you know, give them autonomy. That's the hardest thing is getting a volunteer to a place where they can have autonomy, where you ask, what do you need from me? Instead of, let me tell you the 47 steps. <laughs> No, I think that's true. Another study that I did with a student when I was in Arkansas was looking at what makes a champion, right? What, what are those champion programs? And that, you know, data that we really didn't produce on that really was, you know, you have to invest in those local people because they are passionate about what they do. If we find that person who is into rabbits or who is into gardening, um, home gardens or sustainable projects, they will invest so much time and our students can get so much value out of what they bring. And I think, you know, as ag teachers, I tried to do this. We all tried to do this. If we had somebody who was really good at some certain skill, full design, you know, hey, put this other person underneath their wing and let them kind of know the ropes and learn that process. And I think we could do the same thing with volunteers. You know, if we're doing it, if it's ag mechanics and we need somebody to help us in ag mechanics, you know, bring in some other young person who's in that program and in that community and let them learn from them and they can pass that information on. And I think that hits at your point, Dr. Baker, is how do you keep that going, right? You might be able to do it for a year or two, but maybe somebody moves away and you lose that contact with them. But I think you build those volunteers up. And, you know, we have FFA alumni, we have other supporting groups that are involved in FFA. Um, that could be a great resource to target those individuals. I guess I'm a little bit curious about that idea as far as, you know, I think it can be hard, especially as a new teacher, to think about what help do I need? 
and maybe I don't know my community. Maybe I'm in this position where I maybe think I have it and don't, or no, I don't have it, but don't know who to ask. So how do, how do new teachers especially filter that in terms of who do I ask or even open themselves up to, maybe I don't need help with this, but you're willing to do it. So I'm going to let you take it. How do, we, how do we filter those things as ag teachers? That is a great question. I think if we knew those answers, we'd know exactly who to target every time, right? Um, you know, that's, it's difficult. I'll go back to my experience, and maybe I shouldn't share this, but when I was training horse judging teams and I needed resources, I didn't have horses sitting in the back of the axe shop that we could go train on. We would go to people's places and we would talk to them. Well, the owners are always going to be there and they know a lot about their animals. And I'd have to really set up my students to say, they love their animals and we judge them maybe by different criteria. And so I think we have to do that with our volunteers. We want people to help. We want to engage them because most people that we utilize as volunteers in ag, they love agriculture. They love kids, right? They don't have maybe the training that we do. We are the experts. And so we have to do a little bit of guidance with them. Here's what they need to look at when they're looking at this type of cheese or this type of plant full design. Or when we go on, you know, out of school adventures, here's what I expect of those students. And so I think that's where our time is spent as experts is guiding them in the right direction. But that value that they could bring to our programs as far as their passion and expertise is so valuable that we, we, we need to utilize them. And we learn. It's not going to be the first thing, but we're going to find some community members who know people in that community that can lead us in the right direction, especially as new teachers in a new area, maybe even a new state. Yeah, and the other thing that I struggle with when we when we think about time and commitment that we're putting into volunteers is the sustainability of the volunteers. So is it every year I'm going to have a new person helping coach the horse team or the forestry team and, and how much of the time am I going to have to invest in those and, and, uh, and the turnover that goes with volunteers. So any any thoughts or experiences or best practices in, in building uh, that the capacity there? I don't know if I know that those answers to that. I, it was surprising in the research that I think over 70% of the participants said that the benefits of volunteers outweighed the expense to the program. That statement could be taken quite a few different ways. Some people might say, does it negate the program because you, you don't have an expert maybe all the time in the field? Some people may say, well, the cost of bringing them along on chaperones or whatever use of volunteers they use. But I think, you know, it does take time. We're not, as a new ag teacher, you're not going to know all the answers on how to teach the curriculum the most effective or use community members. But find that local resource. Find an ag teacher a county away or two counties away who does utilize volunteers. And I think they can give you good advice, sage advice, you know, that they've learned over time. Um, you know, us old guys, um, we have a little bit of knowledge and sometimes, and we're free to give that. We like to give out advice, um, but it's free. Yeah. Well, and as, as, as teachers, I think we're, um, we always like stealing good ideas from other people. So I know you mentioned extension earlier and I think of other areas where, how can we partner with or borrow ideas or borrow best practices from maybe some of our friends that are, are doing similar things, but in different venues? Absolutely. I, I know when I first started teaching in El Paso, Texas, um, 
the band director there, they had a phenomenal program and they utilized, they had three accountants who were volunteers for that program. Um, and they utilized volunteers because he could not do everything himself. He could not run that program without the use of volunteers. Um, and so, yeah, we can tap into those resources, you know. Did you find, I'm curious, knowing that this study built off of the study done in 2001, um, it's crazy to believe 2001 was 20 years ago, but did you see any like pointed differences or changes in, you know, how, just how the system is slowly changed? Dr. Baker's put me on the spot there. I can't recall, I really never went back and saw the changes um, because I, it was really one state versus kind of more of a broad state of affairs. That will be a good question. And now when we're through Dr. Baker, I'm gonna go back and look and see if there was any changes there. Um, you know, data tells us what data tells us, right? I always say that data is indicative of that person and how they read something and how they pull it together. But I think it's always generally spoken, ag teachers have wanted to use volunteers. They don't feel like they can just let go of the reins, uh, that control nature of ag teachers that most of us have. I think though, um, as the generations have changed in 20 years, I think there's more openness to the new ag teachers. You know, the younger group here, they're more apt to go on social media and ask for some advice. Um, we see that in lots of different platforms for young ag teachers, you know, how to build projects, how to teach this curriculum different. So I think it will change. I mean, I really do. Um, I hope it does. Maybe we just need to offer more something like this. Al pellets is great. You can go here and get advice and see what other people are doing um, and maybe build more resources to how to effectively utilize volunteers. Maybe that's my next stage. Thanks, Dr. Baker, for more work. <laughs> well, and it just, it, it makes a good point though of like, what's the motivation for somebody to volunteer? And if I were a teacher, I think I used to think I need people to come help us, you know? But I think sometimes in ag education, we might have drifted a bit to where we forget that we were founded hundreds of years ago to fill the workforce needs of our local community. So I feel like if we could get back to the motivation of, if we really are preparing students for workforce needs in our backyard, it seems like there would be people in those trades or in those industries or in those businesses that would have a natural motivation. So sometimes I wonder if it's shifting the conversation from, will you help us coach the blank team to, hey, if you wanna get connected to a really talented group of people that are being trained in your area of expertise, we would love to start that connection now and to get your expertise in what jobs are like in our program. So sometimes I think too, we've drifted off that um, career and technical path because we've gotten so into the um, FFA path. And so, you know, I wonder how that could be flipped and that conversation changes the motivation. It'd be nice if they were asking us for access for, for certain things. No, I think that's a good point. Because I'm older than the rest of you, I think that even goes for Dr. Ritali too. Right, I remember I taught ag co-op. I remember how much community service. Now I wasn't in the days where you taught ag for 
half a day and then you basically did community work the other half of the day. But I taught with people who did that and that you really built up strong connections with that community and their needs and what students were gonna do after they graduated from high school. Um, and so I think, yeah, you're right. And that's, that's how they really impact your program. And they can be also great supporters of your program. As we've gone through some trying times, especially here lately, how to get students to LDE events, CDE events, whether they're virtual or in-person or stock shows or whatever those things are, those community members will stand up and fight for what your students really need and the program um, that you need to educate them through. I think one of the things with this whole conversation reminds me of is there's the changing dynamics that drive volunteers. And Marshall talked about that a little bit. I have a feeling that too often we try to run a 1950s, 1960s volunteer model for volunteers in, you know, in 2021, 2022 and beyond. Um, and I think part of that is, is trying to understand what, what people want to do, where in the, in the old model, they just wanted to come help do, they would stuff envelopes or do whatever else, but now they really want to contribute and feel that their, their passion's coming out. And I guess one thing I, I would like to get your reactions on, Don, here is I think one of the advantages we see sometimes is to help ag teachers go through it and beforehand, what do you really need a volunteer to do? and sketch out those specific tasks so that you know what you're asking for rather than saying, hey, I need volunteers. Someone shows up and says, I'm here. What do you need me to do? And I don't have anything for them. I think I don't, some people go as far as do like volunteer job description. I don't know if you need to go that far or not, but at least to say, because most of the time, what I guess what I'm seeing is people want discrete kind of boundaries on what they're volunteering for. They want to know that I'm not coming in here for a lifetime sentence. I want to come in and I'm going to help I'm going to help teach small engines in your mechanics class, or I'm going to come in and maybe train one team, or maybe I'm going to come chaperone one time. It's not that I have now committed to coming in and teaching your uh, horse digestion unit for the next 74 years. It's, it's really being, being clear about those kind of pieces. And so I don't know if, if just either in the study or in your own experience, if you've ever, you know, what your thoughts are, if you've seen that. Well, I think, you know, ag teachers are just like most people were very reactionary. I mean, I was one of those guys. I didn't think about volunteers until maybe the week before I planned that lesson or that topic. And I'm like, oh, I could really use an expert in that field. But maybe we need to implement that into our summer activities, do our program of activities across the semester and think, where do I need help at? Maybe identify the first year, the top five areas and say, and then think about, because Becky had pointed that out, right? How do you identify them? How do you get in touch with them? And then that gives you some time to work on making that connection, making them feel like you're not just calling the vet at the last minute and say, we're doing, you know, injection sites. Would you come up and do that for us? You've already got that planned out. You know that you can get them into the school because you've identified them. You work with your principal or administration, make sure whether the protocols to get people off campus, on campus, especially in today's world, and then it, it makes it easier. And then you keep building on that. That would be my advice. Um, I tried to utilize that well, didn't always do it well. Um, but I think looking back, that's what, how I would change myself. So I guess my, my question is coming into a community, where do I look? Who do I ask? You know, somebody said this the other day when I had a guest speaker in class, they said one of the greatest honors you can give someone is asking for their help. 
So who do we who do we honor in our communities? Who are these people that if I'm new, this is where I look? Mm. Boy, I'll let everybody else here answer that question. <laughs> I mean, for me, I mean, you start, you build up relationships with parents, you build, when you move into a new community, if that's really the basis of where we're going to start, you know, you can find, you'll find those key players, you'll talk to somebody who's an important ag individual in this community, or who knows everybody, right? It may be the, the manager of the local supermarket, it may be the guy who's at the farmer's market. Um, but find those people and just talk to them, you know, you know, who are people involved in ag? Because you need to build those relationships as a young teacher. I mean, I tell my um, student teachers this, teacher candidates all the time, get involved in that community, learn the people in that community, and don't be afraid to go up and say hello. Maybe to, in today's world, as sending a Facebook friend message to them. I don't know if that works well for everybody, but um, we try to find out who those people are in the community because we're going to utilize them at some point in time. You know, if it's in the South and you need some people to come help student projects, or if you're building training teams and in other areas of the country, those people, you'll utilize them more than you ever thought. And you need to make those connections. And I'm not a, I'm a very introverted person, but I definitely understand and know that I could not do everything myself. I needed those people to help me, whether that's at an auction at the end of the year, the bank president who was an auctioneer on the side, when I asked him to come up and help, that was a great connection for me and for my students because they were like, hey, he's the president of the community bank here. Um, and so they would get to know those kind of people. And so that enlarges their lives too. So it's not only adding value to our program, but our students make those connections. And then they may say, hey, I need some fence belt this weekend. You know, can John help me, one of my students? Absolutely, they're a good worker. So it can be, you know, quick pro quo, right? Yeah, so. I think that's huge as far as, you know, it, it's hard for us to ask for help for ourselves as ag teachers, but maybe we can start with thinking about how do we ask for help for our students? And how are we connecting our students to our community and the resources that are available here? So I love that point. Thanks. I think that's a great way to, to wrap this up, Don. I really appreciate this. I, we, we talk a lot about using volunteers and a lot of our, we did a really long series about how do we help the teachers manage their stress, manage all their, all their work. We talk about volunteers a lot. I think this is a good way to kind of show um, that not only with trying to help with our curriculum, but if we're going to have people for our alumni or advisory councils, be very clear about the tasks that they want to have, really try to tap into why people want to, want to, to be here. But most importantly, I, I, I think listening to all of this, one of the key things we could tell teachers to be thinking about right now is spending some time jotting down a list on what do you need? What are those kind of things? And it could be very specific topics, somebody in to help on a, on a specific section or somebody to help with the fundraiser or somebody to more of a general chaperone those sort of things but have that list available so that you you can be intentional about that and the other thing we kind of mentioned and talked around this a little bit was how do we onboard our volunteers you know really trying to make that as process as simple as they can um, to handle whatever kind of screening has to happen and managing that and hopefully there's somebody in your school that can help you with that so that process has not become a barrier for bringing in those volunteers but Don, thank you so very much. We're excited to talk with you again about this important topic. And we really hope people are engaged in the infographic and with us on social media and reach out to you with more questions they have about how, how to manage volunteers when they go out and get them, not if they go out and get them. So thanks a lot, Don.
Thank you. Glad to be here. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Owl Pellets. Please visit our website for more information on this topic and to learn more about all of our guests. Socialize with us by following Owl Pellets on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. You can join the conversation by adding your thoughts in the comments and sharing the podcast with others. So for Kate, Marshall, and Mike, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellet saying thank you and we'll look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets, Tips for Ag Teachers.